Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, the show where we bring you actionable tips and strategies on how to better connect socially, boost your emotional intelligence, and navigate social behavior. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. This month is Mastering Connection, and we've packed it with actionable advice and science to improve your relationships in all areas of your life. Last week, we had on Leon Logothetis to the show. He had spent years traveling the world relying purely on the kindness of strangers. He has a hit show on Netflix, Amazon Prime, The Kindness Diaries. Today, we're going to wrap up this month with a Q&A episode where we dig into our mailbox and answer your questions that you've sent in. And to help us, we have none other than Aaron Morosky with us. Aaron's a writer, an actor, as well as a coach here at The Art of Charm. So many of you will maybe remember a show that we did a little while back on improv. You may notice her from our free challenge group, our YouTube channel. And of course, if you've gone through boot camp, she's one of the coaches you've worked with in our video training. We did an interview with Aaron about a year ago where we talked about the power of improv and why working on your sense of humor is such an integral part of our boot camp training. Well, a lot has changed since our last show. So it's time to bring her back and answer your questions. Welcome to the show, Aaron Morosky. <laughs> Thank you. That was very formal. I like that. <laughs> now, apart from all the work you do with us at The Art of Charm, you also are very active in the entertainment industry. And... Going along with that, obviously, we know that putting yourself out there, certainly not easy, especially in a creative realm. Now, you were a finalist on the latest Austin Film Festival, and three of the scripts that you wrote are currently making their way through the Page International Screenwriting Awards. So when it comes to screenwriting, obviously, it is competitive, especially here in Hollywood. So how do you deal with comparing yourself to others and the pressure that comes along with such a competitive environment? Uh, it's, it's interesting because outside of other creative pursuits, like, um, Johnny can attest to this with music, you can't say you're a bass player in a band if you don't know how to play the bass, but with acting and writing and being in LA, so many people out here say they are an actor or a writer and I'll say to them, Oh, what are you working on? What have you written? Well, I have this idea for this thing, right? So when you're out here, the competition is not even just, oh, I'm com competing against other actors and writers who are very talented, but you're also competing against people who just say they do a thing that they don't actually do. And sometimes it can be disheartening because it's so, I mean, this town is flooded with people who say they do something, but they don't actually do that thing. And I'm not saying you have to be the best at it, but you have to actually start the doing of the thing. So I guess the way that I kind of deal with the competitive environment is try to just get better by training constantly. So whether that's, you know, taking classes, writing another script, letting people read them and give me their honest thoughts, you know, that's all what's going to make you better and getting really, really laser focused on what you do well in those things. Acting and writing are broad <laughs> subjects. So, you know, specifically I write comedy, especially sitcom, you know, 30 minute network sitcom is my like, you know, that's yeah. where I feel like I really excel. And then with acting, I'm usually 
either a kooky sidekick or uh, I play a bitch. So (laughs) those are my two go-to things. You know, you start to just like learn where your, where your niche is. To go along with that, I certainly have met a number of people out here who they're a director, they're a writer, they're a producer, they're, they're everything. And, and it's like, well, you know, what, what form is your script in? Where's it at? How do you present it? It's like, it's all up here. Yeah. I get in front of the right guy and I'm going to let him have it. And it's like, yeah, that doesn't quite work that way. So, you know, Steven Spielberg's in front of you at Starbucks. You're just going to spit out your idea and yeah. make the deal. And no other, <laughs> no other profession is really like that. You can't be like, oh, you know, I'm a doctor. Oh, what's your specialty? Where did you go to school? Oh, well, I'm just like, whenever a, pr- a opportunity presents itself yeah. for me to do surgery on someone, I just do it. Like, you know, I'm not, you know, it's like, <laughs> no, well, then you're not a doctor. <laughs> and going along with that, obviously, it's very subjective. Too. Mm-hmm. So when you're competing against other writers, you're going on auditions, it is very subjective as to who they're going to put in that role, what mm-hmm. screen uh, play they're actually going to laugh at, what humor they're going to find funny. So it can be difficult at times to sort of orient yourself in such a subjective environment for obviously our audience, maybe not dealing with entering competitions for their work. But when we talk about comparing ourselves to others, exactly that it's important to compare yourself to yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And work on getting better. And I love that you brought up having mentors and friends who will give you honest feedback around your writing so that you can improve instead of getting so blinded by what everyone else is doing and seeing all of their awards and everything else going on in social media. Well, we had just had a entertainment forum that we were a part of with the, with the scouts and there was notable directors and writers there, including uh, Tanya Acker. Tanya Acker, who's doing, uh, who's Judge Judy's protege. We had what? Terrence Winter, mm-hmm. the writer of Vinyl and Sopranos, and Francis Lawrence. And Francis Lawrence, director of Hunger Games. How many people in that audience were sitting there going, if I just get the moment, I'm going to talk to Terrence and I'm going to tell him my idea. And it's, it's golden. It's on from there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> of course, in those moments, there is a lot on the line. We feel pressure like, oh, I have to meet this person. I want to impress this person. And we've all been in that environment, whether it's in the entertainment industry or mm-hmm. in our careers where we're like, hey, I have this person that I look up to that I want to get to know. And when it's your opportunity, how do you take advantage of that? How do you go in and approach those people? And it's funny, while we were at the event, you know, we were watching a lot of people tentatively like, Hoping they'd get an in. Sure. And then other people just walking up, up. putting their hand out and starting talking. And I think for a lot of us, that initial hello can be the most scary. But we saw that event immediately. They opened up. They started sharing their stories. And they all remarked on stage just how much they enjoy giving back and helping support other people who are chasing their dreams. Well, here's something I think everyone needs to know. All those guys who are doing that event. Right. They're very famous. They have a lot of things going on. Their time is very precious uh, for, to themselves and to everyone that they're working with. And they want to be respectful of that. However, they've blocked off a certain amount of time to do said event and be social and answer questions and be there. And that time that they have allotted for themselves is all it's going to be. So you could be one of the people tentatively hoping that you'll squeeze in and they'll brush by or... You can go, as you said, walk right up, introduce yourself and use that time that they allotted for that to your advantage. Yeah. I mean, waiting on the sidelines, waiting for an opportunity for one of them to approach you is not a winning strategy. And when just and think about it. after that, those 
they all went. They they took some pictures. There were some glad hands. They were chatting with some people, and turn around, poof, gone. Right there, there was time up. Got to go. Next thing. Yeah, and I think the important thing, especially in the entertainment business, when you want to go introduce yourself to someone and you are also in the entertainment industry, is to I always call it like try not to turn into like a fangirl or a fanboy and just this is your industry. If this is your industry, then you should walk up to them as a peer and say, I really wanted to say hello. I so enjoy your work on vinyl or, you know, whatever it is, you know, and then have a thoughtful question about a project they've worked on instead of just going, oh my gosh, I just love you so much. Oh my gosh. I, you know, it's like, put yourself at their level and they will, you're, you're now giving them the cue of like, I should be respected on this level as well. And that genuine compliment, right? Yeah. Instead of just like saying, oh my God, I love you, but actually saying what it is that you love about their work, yeah. what it was about that movie that moved you or, or held you on the edge of your seat. And, you know, talking about writing for various shows, he even said on stage, Terrence was talking about just, you know, rejection is a part of it even now, yeah. even when he's mm -hmm. established. So going into it, you enter in an industry where not only is rejection going to be a part of it, but having to wait to hear back, you submit your script. Now you're waiting. How do you deal with that weight? I honestly have just trained myself to forget it. Like send <laughs> things in. I submit for things. Yep. You know, I have rep working on the on the other side of things trying to, you know, and I don't, I used to, my gosh, the first time I had a manager, I used to be like daily email them of like, so what's, you know, how is this moving forward and what's going on with this? Did you get any feedback on this audition for, and it's like, you have to like audition or send in a script or let things happen and forget about it and just start working on the next thing. Like the, you're just wasting time. You know, if you're, if you're just sitting there waiting and going, well, this is going to move forward. So I'm just going to wait for it. Like you're wasting precious time that you could be creating your next project or training and getting better. And, and it's just unnecessary stress. It's just like, forget it. And then when something happens, it's like this awesome surprise. And you're like, Heck yeah. yeah, Christmas and summer. You're like, hell yeah. yeah, I made it as a finalist. Well, this is something that you and I were talking about yesterday that no matter what business you're in, if you're putting all your eggs in one basket, you're going to drive yourself nuts by having all these other opportunities on the table for those opportunities that, that you're trying to create for yourself to actually go to where a deal is inked and there's actually work and a transaction happening for, for that to finally take place. So many other little things have to fall into your favor. So you have to just put a ton of it out there and hope for the best. Yeah. It's this business. I feel like people don't realize how long it takes for something to happen. My mother will always be like, well, you said that you guys you know, sold this pitch. So like, why haven't, why don't I like see it on, on TV? TV? It's like, um, well, we sold the pitch. Now we have to write the script and it has to get approved by like 700 people. Then they decide whether or not they'll even make a pilot that won't be aired. And then if that goes well, then you, I mean, it's like, it's a so year. Yeah. And even just, you know, like if you look at my resume or IMDb, you don't see all the things like as a writer, there are so many steps before having something successful. And it doesn't mean that you aren't successful yet. It's like getting even, you know, uh, like inching forward is such a huge deal in this business. So you and I have talked about this before and I, and I we we've all seen the lines of the cattle calls of <laughs> to audition for parts. And I'm sure going to your first one and how you approached that and left that and what you were feeling certainly has changed all these years into that industry where it's like, 
I'm just, I'm doing what my agent told me to do. I'm showing up. I'm leaving. I got other things to do. Yeah. I, maybe I get a call back. Maybe I won't. But you're not going to go home and cry if you don't. No, no, my gosh. And it's funny because when I first, I moved from Orlando to New York City. And in Orlando, I was this huge fish in a tiny pond. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, it, it wasn't, I would go on all auditions. I got asked to be in plays and things without even having to audition. And I moved to New York and <laughs> I went to this um, seminar at SAG at Screen Actors Guild. And I had been there two weeks. And it was this career coach and she, you know, that she was like taking questions from the audience and I raised my hand and I was like, can you please help me figure out how to get an agent? I still cannot get an agent. I've been trying so hard. And she goes, well, how long have you been here in New York? And I said, two weeks. <laughs> and the... I mean, this is in my early 20s. The feeling, if, if you could like feel something in a room, like yeah. I felt everyone look at me like, Oh, I've been there. You are such a gullible, <laughs> green moron. But I'm so glad I had that experience sure. so that now I'm like, Oh, patience is such a virtue in this business. And it's not going to happen overnight. You have to learn those lessons in that <laughs> manner as well for them to say, it. And of course, we, uh, we have a lot of questions and a lot of people will come to us so afraid to decide on, on the wrong path or they they don't want to make a mistake unfortunately those mistakes are what how you learn and so you got to throw yourself into it now in teaching the women's program we incorporate all the concepts from the men's program and one of those exercises involves approaching people and talking <laughs> to strangers and it was funny in the programs we've run, the pushback that we got from mm -hmm. the women participants. Mm -hmm. Men, obviously, super excited to learn how to approach, understand its importance in networking and obviously dating. Women, typically in the dating realm, are the ones being approached. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes in the networking realm, they're not really doing much approaching. So, of course, the women on program were very hesitant to do this exercise. And you had a great experience of just how important it is, no matter where you are, no matter what sex you are, to be approaching people and be willing to put mm -hmm. yourself out there. Yeah, I mean, the Austin Film Festival last year, it was awesome because I was a finalist. You get to wear the little badge that says you're a finalist and people know, you know, like, oh, wow, okay, this person has written something great. Um, and I had to go by myself, though. Like, none of my friends were able to go. My husband wasn't able to come with me. And so um, being part of that festival where you're getting to go to all of these mixers for free and just meet people, I was like, oh, my gosh. I realized I haven't really been in this situation in a while where I am just totally by myself and I'm going... And the whole point of being here is to try to make some connections with people and, uh, you know, enjoy the festival, of course, but, like, you know, moving forward, this business is really so much about relationships and just like, you know, helping other people out, meeting people. You can be like, oh, I can connect you with so-and-so and that would be a great partnership. Um, so realizing I have to go up and talk to people and it does not matter, you know, some of the pushback in the women's program is like, well, I'm married or, well, I'm not looking to pick up guys. And it's like, who cares? First of all, anytime you first meet someone, it shouldn't be loaded with like, I just talked to a guy on the phone uh, yesterday who was interested in a program and he was like, should I open with like, do you have a boyfriend <laughs> when I go and talk to a woman? And I'm like, no, you should just genuinely see if you hit it off with this person as a person before anything else. So an approach shouldn't have an agenda behind it immediately, right? You shouldn't be going and going like, I need this thing from this other person. So I think taking that out of it, it's harder for women to take that out of it or they just 
don't want to take it out of it because they don't want to have to approach and put themselves in that situation. But it's like, take that out of it. Just be like, especially at a festival, it's so easy. Everyone's here to make friends. Everyone's here, you know, for that reason. So just going up and going like, Hey, I'm here by myself. I just wanted to say, hi, you know, what are you, what are you working on? What brings you to the festival? Right. And the first couple of times I did it when I was there, I was like, I had to like gear myself up. I'm like, okay, those people, yeah, I'm going to go over there. But, um, it just got easier and easier. You just gotta, you know, everybody needs that push sometimes. Even people who do this all the time, you got to kind of like do whatever you need to do to rub yourself up. And what was funny about the experience for the participants in the program was after going through the exercise, learning how to approach from the side instead of direct, taking away all that connotation that was in their head around, oh, this is mm-hmm. going to be sexual, this is going to be flirty, actually opened them up more mm-hmm. and made them realize like, wow, this is a lot of fun. I want to go out and actually enjoy some parties and talk to mm-hmm. some more people. Yeah instead of sitting on the sideline. And I think that's a very valuable lesson for all of us. I know Johnny and myself, even when we go into networking events, we're like, okay, you just got to get the first few conversations under your belt. Mm-hmm. Take it one conversation at a time. You're going to get warmed up, loosened up. And then next thing you know, you're going to have a great connection. And I asked those women too, when they were really feeling like we're not going to need these skill sets. I don't need to approach people. Even one woman was like, my business is centered around working with other women. I don't need to, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, let's, let's think about this. Of the most successful women you think of, do you think that they got where they were by saying, I only talk to other women. I don't approach people. And, you know, it's like, no, that's even more so the difference of, you know, being a woman in any business of like, you have to have that assertiveness. You have to be okay getting out of your comfort zone and, and presenting yourself to other people. Yeah. I mean, you give away all of your power and agency. If you say, I'm not going to approach people, I'm just going to take what comes at me. And life doesn't work that way. If you want opportunity, you have to go out and pursue that opportunity. Now, before we get to our listener questions, there's one question that you recently answered on a Facebook Live for our graduates and our client community, and it was so important that we wanted to revisit it. So for those of you that don't know what the graduates community is, we have an exclusive community for all of our clients, and basically every single week we host Q&As where they get access to all of our coaches to work on whatever it is that they've not only developed in the program, but it's going on in their social lives. And the question was... How does improv help with self-development? I know we talk a lot about improv on the show. We had an episode dedicated to it. We're big proponents of improv, largely because of you joining the team. So what are your thoughts on improv and how it helps with self-development? Yeah, I think I said on the the Facebook thing that I'm like, how doesn't it help self-development? There's so many ways that it does. And it's funny because, you know, sometimes people think like, well, I don't want to be a performer, so I don't need to do improv. It's like, I actually think it's better for you know, people who aren't pursuing performing, it's just a way to get out of your comfort zone. So it's a way that you're constantly having to get out of that comfort zone. You're going to go to a class with people you don't know. You are going to be maybe given a one word suggestion or something. And then you have to get up in front of other people and create something in the moment. And then, you know, it also, it just greases the wheels in your head of like that, quick thinking, right? Free associate, free associating. It allows you to free associate quickly so that when you're having a conversation with someone and they bring up, you know, like, oh, I was just vacationing in Greece. Okay. Now my mind goes to 50 different things about like, oh, Greece, have I, I always wanted to take a cruise around the Mediterranean. Um, you know, Greek food is my favorite, whatever the things that come up, it just greases that wheel of free associating. And then it also, my favorite thing about it is it helps you not take yourself so seriously, right? Like we all 
a lot of times the anxiety we get with approaching or having conversations and connections with people is because we're like, I have to do this correctly. I have to like follow some, you know, formula. And it's like, don't take yourself so seriously. Have a little bit of fun. It's so much, life is so much easier when you, you know, let, let yourself make some mistakes and take it easy. It definitely is about building trust. You have to trust Mm -hmm. your partners on stage and it's a safe environment for you to make those mistakes. And a lot of times the mistakes in improv are just as funny (laughs) as the ones you actually hit. So that's a great life lesson when it comes to self-development. And the other thing, a lot of us, as we get older, we get settled into our careers and we're usually at our job from 40 to 60, maybe 70, 80 hours a week. And you're using your brain in a certain manner that allows you to excel in that situation. By going to improv, you get to practice other tools, put on a different hat and get stronger in in that area. The the tools that you're going to learn and develop an improv work really well for socialization because socialization is an art form. Whereas in, you know, engineering, it either works or it doesn't. And there's a lot of logistics and a lot of laws that are going to come into play. And the, the way you go into that is completely different. I couldn't agree more. And I feel like we, we hear this a lot, this thought that, well, I'm boring, right? Mm-hmm. You guys have this great life. You guys have all this stuff going on, but I'm boring. And that's another valuable lesson of improv is that everyone walks in the room, puts on, hey, I'm going to have some fun, let it loose and speak my mind, free association. And you realize that you're not boring. You have a lot to say. You have a really strong sense of humor that Mm -hmm. regularly you probably only articulate it with your best friends or people you really feel close to. And in those moments, those are really the most celebratory moments of improv or like, okay, everyone's laughing too, enjoying this joke. And you get to have some wins, which is what self-development's all about. Yeah. And a lot of times when guys say, well, I don't, I'm not funny. I don't have a sense of humor. It's because they're going in thinking I need to try to be funny. And Mm -hmm. One of the big rules of improv and when you're taking class or improvising with new people, there's always that person who's like pushing so hard to be funny and it's usually, it usually falls flat, right? Like being you and not taking yourself seriously is what allows you to be funny. It's just get relaxed and yeah, and just be yourself. Everybody has a different, you know, type of sense of humor. You just got to find what yours is. Yeah. We were talking to a comedy professor at USC and he was talking about having students, you know, model different comedians and how it typically doesn't work because Mm -hmm. when you're trying to model someone else's sense of humor and their mannerisms, it's not you. And improv allows you to be the more fuller version of yourself. Definitely. Now, this is our Q&A episode. So coming up, we're going to get to your questions. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The first question we have is from Maria. Hey, AJ and Johnny. Huge fan of the show, and I especially loved your episodes on how to deal with toxic relationships. I recently broke up with my partner because it was not a healthy relationship. I've since spent a lot of time thinking about all of my past relationships, and the pattern that keeps showing up was, I think, codependency. Either the relationship started out codependent or it turned into one pretty quickly. I'm sure it's not all on me, but it seems to be something that I get myself into. I've just started dating again, and this time I want to come prepared. And for that, I need your help. What are some ways in which I can detect codependency early on? And also, what are some ways in which a relationship can become codependent after a few weeks or months? What's a good way to prevent this? Thank you so much. Please keep doing what you're doing. And I'm hoping to join you on that woman's boot camp next year. Yeah. Codependency. Yeah, this is something I'm definitely familiar with. That's, you know, everyone has their big Achilles heel and thing they work on with themselves. And I feel like when I learned about codependency, I was like, oh, this is like the key (laughs) that will unlock so much, Um, you know. And the thing with codependency is typically it comes from growing up, you know, in a household that maybe had one or both parents with addiction. So you you have a certain amount of chaos that you crave in um, relationships because you've seen that modeled that like a little bit of fighting or yelling or like some friction and tension is the norm for you. So when a relationship doesn't have that, typically that's not the relationship you get into. You, you get into a relationship because you're not, you're unknowingly craving a bit of chaos. You have some comfort in chaos. You know how to deal with things when they're a little bit crazy. So I think as far as, because there were a, a few questions around that in this letter, um, I don't think you can control the relationship from not being a codependent relationship. All you can do is control your behavior. And I know for me, a lot of, I'm on the side of, you know, where I am the codependent. So I, my pattern is I start to try to control, you know, like the situation because there's chaos. So I need to control it. I need to fix the person. So instead I turn that around and find ways to appreciate the person and give encouragement. Um, I cut them slack instead of like putting everything under a microscope. Uh, I go like, you know what? So he didn't do the, you know, his dishes today. It's okay. He did my dishes like, you know, a couple of times last week. And I also set boundaries. You know, I had, I had my current relationship is not a codependent relationship, but I've had my share. So, um, I think the big thing for me was that I didn't set boundaries. I made it okay for people to treat me in a poor way. I made it, it was okay if, you know, one second that person was shining the light on me and I was the center of their universe, but it was also okay if they completely ignored me and didn't get back to me, you know? So it's like, 
you really have to, you know, be clear about your boundaries with the other person. And if they don't respect those, then maybe that's not the relationship to be in. But as a codependent, setting boundaries is a huge challenge. You should come into it working on yourself and not expecting somebody else to complete you because that is, that's where you're looking at this other person. And every time that you feel lost, scared, upset, you're looking at the other person, fix me, fix me now, make me feel good. And they're like, I have my own life. I have my own things going on here. So now you're not only looking at this other person to complete you, you're constantly taking and draining from them and putting all the pressure on them to make you feel whole. Mm-hmm. And certainly uh, where that's going to uh, go to as well. Well, and we've talked about this on yep. the show with codependency. Oftentimes your interests, your friends, everything goes to the wayside and the relationship becomes all consuming. And a lot of times those guardrails disappear immediately because we have this huge chemical spike. We're so infatuated with one another. They're like, Oh, I can hang out with my friends later. And all of a sudden, we're creating this environment that is going to lead to codependency because Mm -hmm. we've thrown all of our eggs into this metaphorical basket. So working on yourself, one, absolutely important. Number two, really pursuing those passions outside of the relationship. Mm -hmm. Coming into the relationship, having your own life, having a strong social circle, having things going on in your life that excite you outside of the relationship is also important because the codependency line turning into controlling turning into, okay, I need to know where you are. You need to be with me at all times. I don't feel safe without you. Those behaviors are typically starting at the initiation of that uh, relationship because you've created this pattern that this is acceptable. I need you to drop everything to spend time with me and I'm willing to drop everything to spend time with you. Also, obviously looking back at your past is very key here. Mm -hmm. You've already started to do that, which is a great first step. But think about, what are the qualities in your past relationships that attracted you to that person? And what are the qualities that you weren't so attracted to that sort of popped up after the fact? A lot of us don't realize that, you know, we pay so much attention to the qualities that we like. We don't realize it's the qualities that we don't like that are the reason for a lot of the strife in our relationships. So being clear on what are the qualities I'm looking for and what are those qualities that, you know, I just don't jive with really well. And everyone, as we talked about earlier this month, has different love languages, ways they communicate things. Mm -hmm. Understanding your own is going to help you a lot from protecting you from potentially getting into another codependent relationship. Yeah. And I would highly recommend also Melody Beattie's book, Codependent No More (laughs) and Language of Letting Go. Language of Letting Go is like a daily, it's got like a daily, um, you know, piece of advice and just dives a little bit into codependency every day in a different way. And it's, I know when I go through my periods where I'm really struggling with it, I read that each morning in journal and it helps a lot. So journaling, absolutely. A lot of us don't realize in the moment when we're feeling these things, we can reflect after the fact, but having a regular journaling practice can allow you to see some of these signals sooner than later. Something else that Aaron brought up I wanted to chat about as, uh, a little further is, have if you grown up in a codependent household where there is a lot of fighting, a lot of drama, and that becomes the norm for you. If the relationship is going well and it's very calm and very chill, you're going to start shit just because... Mm-hmm. That's what you need in order to feel that everything is okay. And what you're doing when you're doing this is you're now setting up your partner to become very sensitive to cues of upsetting you and wearing them down to where they become very passive and submissive. And then they have to take on this character that 
you're placing on them, which is what you had seen from the, the adult relationships in your life, possibly your parents, when they cannot be themselves. And that becomes very uh, stifling as well. Here's a question from Samanthi. Hey, AJ and Johnny, hope you're doing well. I enrolled in Charismatic Conversations recently and completed a few of the lessons in the first module. I want to seek your advice. How do you make an impression on people around you? How do you make yourself noticeable? And how do you make people want to be with you? Not in a romantic sense, but purely as friends. I try to listen to people and their feelings, and I try to help them in times of need and even do small acts of kindness. But I never see them reciprocated or people willing to include me in their lives. Due to such tendencies over the course of years, I've tried to avoid people in social situations. This in turn has not helped me in any way either. Rather, my social skills have deteriorated and my exposure and experiences have been very limited. My thinking about the whole situation is, I'm not street smart and do not demand anything from anyone. And this in turn makes me inconspicuous. I am the Miss Goody Two-Shoes, always obliging, but never otherwise in the picture. My life and career have been greatly affected by this, and I need to take steps to rectify this sooner rather than later. Let's start with the first impression, okay. right? Because obviously make an impression around you. It starts with that first impression. That really sets the tone. We've talked about this on the show, talked about it in charismatic conversations, that it's very difficult to reset a first impression. Those tend to be very indelible, scientifically speaking. So we want to obviously make a great first impression to start because that first impression can lead to the lasting impression that you're looking for. So looking at your body language, which is one of the big things that we delve into in our program, mm -hmm. a lot of us don't realize, and as we'll dig into what's going on mentally for this uh, person, is when we're feeling anxious, when we're personally feeling judged, and obviously, you know, we're hearing how greatly this has affected their life. Uh -huh. Apparently, when that's going on inside, you are showing it externally, typically in ways you're not even aware of. It could be eye rolls. It could be crossing of arms. It could be showing judgmental looks just when listening, not realizing subconsciously that this is going on, which is leading to other people feeling uncomfortable around you. Now, this is something, of course, we were talking with Aaron about earlier, and it's learning to be a good actor, <laughs> learning to be able to, no matter what you're feeling inside, to be able to put on the face you need in order to make that best first impression. I, and AJ knows this, I'm silly not, don't have the best poker face. My, We're still working on your acting. Yeah. <laughs> no Academy Awards yet. There's certainly no Academy Awards. However... I certainly know the face that I need to put on when I'm going into those situations and I do it to the best of my ability. And, uh, and so we have to start there. And are you able to be a good actor and think about all the things that lead to a good first impression, certainly a smile, standing up tall and going in, hoping for the best rather than going in and, and, and hoping the worst doesn't happen. And obviously, you know, Speaking of, I listen to people. I try to help them in times of need, even small acts of kindness, but it's never being reciprocated. That right there says you're not doing it because you actually want to be kind and you care about these people. You're doing it with the expectation that something's going to come back at you. And people pick up on that. Yes, they do. People pick up on that. And you may think, oh, there's no way they know that. And honestly, I don't even really think that. But just listening and reading this, it shows that your intent through all of that 
of trying to listen to people and their feelings, trying to be kind and in their uh, lives in times of need, and I'm not getting it back. Well, that is also being sent in your communication, whether it's verbally or non-verbally, and that's leading to people feeling distant and feeling uncomfortable. Here's what makes this difficult. If you go into an interaction being transactional, then the odds are you're looking for this to be reciprocated in the exact same way that you had helped to get, you had given them value. And now if we go back just a few weeks ago, we know that through love languages that not everyone speaks in the same manner. So though you may have given a little gift or you threw out some words of affirmation and those things didn't come back in the way that you had given them. Well, of course you're getting upset and of course you're getting angry. And now that's painting it how you see all your interactions because you're in a transactional state. We talk about being high value and we talk about giving and to the service of others, there has to be a, an idea of what you're willing to give out and going back to without putting all your eggs in one basket. If you're just a giving person, then that value is going to be coming back to you in so many different ways and from so many different places. However, if it's just Aaron that I had given uh, words of affirmation to, and now I'm going to sit here with my arms crossed <laughs> on my foot waiting for you to give them back and you've baked me a cake and I'm like, what is this cake? Where's my words of affirmation? Well, of course I'm going to get upset. And you can only continue doing that for so long before it starts eating away. Yeah. And I think also a lot of like, you were mentioning the wording of that, of the second paragraph, but it's, it's there in the first two of like, how do you make people want to be with you? And, <laughs> you know, I mean, this is the thing that especially towards the end too, when you can see that she has ideas about herself. Like I am not street smart. I don't demand anything from anyone. Um, you know, I miss goody two shoes. All of this stuff is like, well, so we're going in transactionally and you're also being a bit so like desperation and neediness, people sense that. And mm -hmm. unfortunately it's like, it's, it's kind of makes people uncomfortable and makes people want to, um, you know, not be a part of things. So when you're saying like, how do you make people want to be around you? People want to be around someone who's confident in themselves, who who have a good time, regardless of what other people, um, you know, are are giving to them or sharing with them. And especially with the, well, I'm listening to people and I help them out. Why aren't they reciprocating? How patient are you being? How long are you waiting for this reciprocation? Sometimes right. you, you don't realize what, yeah, like, but when you've set that impression on someone and you've been kind to someone, even if they don't you know, reciprocate it right away. It's something they will remember throughout your friendship, your relationship, and it will come back to you. But you have to either think it will come back to me or I just like, I did this because it felt good to be kind. Right. Um, that's, you know. that's the other thing, right? And we've talked about this. Happiness is tied to being in service of others and not mm -hmm. looking for that input back in your direction. Now let's do a little improv here. Let's play a little free association. When you hear the phrase, Miss Goody Two-Shoes, what does that mean to you? Are you asking me or are you asking Aaron? Blurt it out. This, this is, is improv. Let's, yes. Let's hear it. Uh, you know, there's so many different ways that can go. It could be somebody who's always looking to help others. It can. It could be somebody who always follows the straight and narrow path. It could be uh, somebody who, who, who has a certain moral code that may be a little bit uptight. 
my yeah. yeah my free association is judgmental that's what i was when someone says miss goody two shoes it's typically someone who puts themselves above the others mm-hmm. and judges other people's actions very critically gotcha yeah. and when you are wearing that hat of judgment of others well of course you're not going to receive kindness or generosity or people's time even people don't want to be judged or criticized so miss goody two shoes if you're hearing that from other people that means that they're feeling criticized and judged around you. They're feeling less than. Miss Goody Two Shoes is not a label that you should strive for. Yeah. Well, no one wants to go into a room that they're going to constantly feel judged by every movement and everything that they say. That is a horrible place to be. Uh, another thing here that's interesting is when people realize that they're looking at the world and their social interactions transactionally, their first question is, how do I get out of that? And this is what we talk about by cultivating high value mindsets and behaviors. And this is not a switch that you flip on. This is the process of getting better every day of cultivating high value behaviors and mindsets. Just this, the word, how do I get people to like me right there? There's a mindset problem of looking to others to complete you, to allow you to be happy. That needs, you need to take that power back. How else do you build a high value behaviors and, and, in mindsets. Well, what is, what is your, the routines that you are doing in your daily life that is giving, that is continually reinforcing this power to you rather than others. Every decision you make is either one of empowering yourself or empowering those are giving up your power to those around you. That needs to be settled. Those things need to be ironed out. Yeah, I definitely feel like I had written down if you're if you're looking for this much external validation, right? You're never going to be happy because mm-hmm. you're also you already have the mindset of like people think these crappy things about me, but you're also still looking for their validation and it's very like, you know, like you're really trying to pull it from people. Just get just get good with yourself. Go into these interactions going, I'm going to bring happiness. I'm going to bring joy. I'm going to, you know, light up the room and have a good conversation with this person. Uh, the last point I, I also want to make on here is if you're looking to start cultivating these new behaviors and mindsets that are going to help you in these situations, the other thing is you have to let go of your past. There's also a mention here of in the past, this person had always, uh, has always had these uh, struggles. Well, we're using an absolute. We had talked about that, but also, um, if you do not let go of that past, you're not going to be able to start moving forward. Yeah. So breaking it down, simply actionable. Number one, we need more exposure to people. We can't keep avoiding people. So we, we got to break that pattern. Mm-hmm. And when we're exposing ourselves to people, not in a <laughs> an decent <laughs> way, I hope, We want you to be smiling, making eye contact, Mm -hmm. having open body language, which is uncrossing your arms and being fully present in the conversation, right? Again, going back through what's going on subconsciously here, I think there's a lot of nonverbal body language that's making the people around you uncomfortable. So just focusing on your body language first, going out there, wearing a smile, nodding along as listening is a great first step. Get that down till it's habitual, till it's a habit you feel comfortable going into any room smiling. Then we can start to build off of that. We can start to see some wins, people responding differently to us. And we have to remove the transaction from the equation. When you're going in looking at everything as a zero-sum game of, well, I gave this to Johnny, I'm not getting anything back from Johnny, you're missing out on the entire high-value system that we're talking about here, which is we're giving for the sake of giving, 
We're not giving for the sake of what comes back at us. I think also your posit your positivity needs to be unshakable. So, you know, letting, like you said, being a good actor, um, this legit happened to me two days ago. I covered a class for Katie, who you guys have met before yeah. at Bar Method. I teach Bar Method as well. And um, a client came up and was like, I thought Katie was teaching. This is right before <laughs> I start class. And I said, oh, no, I'm uh, Katie asked me to cover for her. So I'm teaching today. And she was like, well, I only like Katie's class. And I was like, you know what? I bet you might like mine too. And she was like, I don't think so. You're going to have really big <laughs> shoes to fill. And I was like, well, here we go. Let's find out, right? And I just kept having a big smile. I encouraged her throughout class. And after class, she was like, I did have a nice time, you know, but it's one of those things where now you could let that shake your confidence and go mm -hmm. in and be like, oh crap, this one person in class out of 20 doesn't like me and I'm not going to be able to win them over. It's like, just stay with your positive attitude. And, you know, most of the time you win people over. And think about this, Aaron. How much work have you had to do on yourself in this and analyzing your experiences for the lessons that you could take from them for that very situation for you to hold it together to do exactly what you know you needed to do to have a stronger frame, have her soak into to give you the attention that you need to do the class. Big smile. She has fun. And that doesn't come by just flipping a switch. No, that's like years and years. I mean, I would say eight years ago, if that happened to me, I probably would have been teaching class, holding back tears, thinking, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, really, like, because I would start beating myself up in my head going like, yeah, you're not as good of a teacher as other teachers are. This person, you know, like if she feels this way, probably other people do too. Someone else is also disappointed in the class probably, right? And I was like, no, I am a good teacher. She'll love my class. <laughs> There's a, an example of that that I was just thinking that comes to our, our the work that we do and the and Aaron has so expertly helped us out with with the improv class. There was a particular really quiet group one week. They are just they were very quiet, a lot of introverted guys, and because they weren't very expressive, and this was early in your time working with us, you're like you hit me up afterwards. You're like I don't think they liked it. No one said anything. There wasn't they weren't. Uh, they didn't seem to be smiling or enjoying themselves like the regular guys. I'm like, I'm sure it was fine. And of course, I went in the next day and they wouldn't stop talking about the, <laughs> how what a wonderful time they had. And, and so I'm just laughing. I was like, we all know what the, we need to do in those situations. Can we hold it together? Mm -hmm. And this is why, once again, self-development is so important because this is the work that we do in order to handle these situations. The last thing I want to end with is breaking this goody two shoes. We talked about listening to their feelings, trying to help them in times of need, doing small acts of kindness. It's not working. So we got to change what we're doing there because yeah. that approach isn't working. Being someone who is appreciative of others, genuinely appreciative, celebrating the people around you, not looking to give gifts and the other things you've been doing, but genuine appreciation, I think, can turn that Miss Goody Two Shoes on its side and listen to today's challenge because I think it's also going to help you, Sumathy. All right, next question here is from Evan. Hey, AJ and Johnny, to give you a little context about myself, I'm a 20-year-old business undergrad from Canada. I'm a huge proponent of lifestyle and mindset, so many people in my program are striving to become as qualified as possible, but have what I feel is only surface-level perspective into what or why they're doing what they do. 
Being a people person, I can really get behind the notion that social dynamics, emotional intelligence, and a healthy mindset can mean all the difference for someone's life. Something I struggle with at times is confidence and being malleable to those around me. Do you have any advice for me related to these areas or wisdom in general that you'd be willing to share? I love what you guys do, and I'll keep on listening. Thanks for taking the time to read this. All the best. So question is, how is it that we can stay confident but malleable to those around us? Uh, obviously, we don't want to err on the side of arrogance, overconfidence, and arrogance typically is going along with Miss Goody Two-Shoes, right? It's elevating yourself above others. So we want to make sure that our confidence is not at the detriment of those around us, right? We're not getting our confidence from putting other people down. Mm -hmm. There's confidence and then there's having to be the center of the conversation, having to lead, feel like you have to lead everything. And um, so letting other people take the lead and, and, and encouraging and supporting them is a way of certainly, valuable. well, there's, a, there's, there is a, one of the concepts that we teach in class is the stronger frame always dissolves the weaker one. Now, the problem with this is the minute a lot of people hear that idea, well, of course, they want to develop the strongest frame that they possibly can. And then what happens is they think that it needs to be their frame that leads always. always. And that becomes a lot of work because you don't want to be around somebody who is going to make everything always about them. So it's being a good leader is somebody who is able to understand and see opportunities to, uh, to elevate others to lead in those situations and help them out. When you continually make everything about you, it's draining for everyone around you in that room. And you could think of this idea as I have a hoop and I'm always putting the hoop on other people. And if I'm always putting the hoop on other people and you're in my reality, it's difficult for you then to be yourself. Why? Because I have expectations of how you need to act when you're in my presence. And if you don't, I will either get upset, frustrated with you, or will ignore the behaviors and actions that you're doing and just, and just project you are acting in the way that I am. So when you do something that is so outside of that, those behaviors, now I'm angry. Why, Aaron, why are you not acting the way you're supposed to act? You're like, I'm doing my thing. And we've seen this. Yeah. It happens a lot. This definitely, as much as I hate to be like, this relates to improv, but it does really relate to improv. <laughs> sure. I used to be in a group with someone who was, it was like the bulldozer, you know, yes. every scene they had to initiate every scene. Even if you initiated, they came in and would try to change it. And they weren't a team player in a way where they could support the other people. You know, sometimes you do have to be the person who starts the scene and gets things going and gives everybody a direction sure. to move towards. But then sometimes you have to jump on the train of that, that someone else sets up and, and really support them and move their idea forward. And that's very much like conversation and being able to be confident, but also not always the bulldozer. Yeah. And I completely agree that when you've reached this point, where you've made some realizations about yourself, you're trying to self-actualize, you're working on yourself. It can be difficult when you see people around you that you feel have untapped potential, but haven't made those connections, haven't reached those conclusions. And I mean, Johnny, you could smile about this. Over the 12 plus years working Art of Charm, you know, we've had numerous interns, staff members come in 
and try to go set up something and we'll tell them, hey, that's not going to work. Yep. And then they'll go do it anyways. <laughs> and we'd be sitting here scratching our heads being like, what in the I'm telling you that's not going to work. We've already made that mistake. People have to make the mistake themselves. Yep. People are not going to listen to you just because you're a little higher up the mountain, so to speak, metaphorically, and you've made these conclusions. So being malleable is allowing other people the opportunity to self-discover, to understand that, hey, this tool is not the right tool for the job, not you barking orders at them or giving them instructions. So I have actually learned a lot of patience just from running the company and bringing on all these team members. And I like to joke with Amy about having kids like, well, you know, I've already had thousands at this point with all the training we've done. So I'm good on having children because you understand the value and actually learning the lesson through experience versus having it told to you from someone else. I, and I, I think something else that goes with this, when you're a young person you, and, and you're working for a company that you really enjoy or you, you want to excel, you want to get better, so you have these ideas, you say you want to do this, and maybe your boss tells you, hey, listen, that's not going to work. And, and you think, well, I think it might. Now, here's before you go and do it anyway. Because, before you grab the hammer. Before you grab the hammer. <laughs> here's, here's how you can gain the knowledge. Go, you know, I'm curious to know why it won't work. And then they can tell you through their experience all the different components of why that's not going to work. Then you might go, I'll put the hammer back down. I, I can see where he's coming from. Or you might pick it up and go bang on some stuff anyway. But at least they had an opportunity to explain to you why and the reasons why you don't want to do that. Because you might be doing that to your own detriment. Yeah, we all value our own experiences more than others. Yeah. I'm not watching other people's wedding videos. I'm not going on Instagram and watching other people's vlogs. Like I enjoy my life. Like that's what I want. I want that experience. And other people, when they're learning, they're going to learn through experience more than you mentoring, unless they actually come to you and say, hey, I need help with this. But just saying, you know, I'm a little further on the self-discovery platform here. I've made some realizations that my classmates haven't. So I'm going to be confident, but I'm also going to be a little rigid because I know the right way to maneuver. That is going to lead to some people being frustrated. But, and I will say the fact that you're 20 and you're already on the self-discovery journey is so amazing because one of the main refrains I hear over and over again on Saturdays with the boot camps is I hear guys go, you know, there, there's always like some younger guys in the group and some older guys in the group. And the older guys are always like, man, if I had come through this boot camp yeah. when I was 20 years old, I can't even imagine the difference it would have made in my life. You're so lucky that you have started this young. But, you know, and I always say to them, it doesn't matter where you are, you know, in, the, you know, what age or whatever, you're moving forward from this point. But it is true. Like, the fact that you are already, you know, working on this stuff and trying to be the best person you can to your friends who might not have the same mindset is, is a great thing. So now it's time for you to take action. Yeah. As always, we have a challenge for you this week. Aaron, what is the challenge for our listeners? I would like the listeners to write five cards or letters like with their hand yeah. <laughs> and a pen and like a, a nice card that you picked out or just on nice stationery, you send a letter to five people telling them what they mean to you in, in a deeper way. I just did this last week 
And it feels so nice to share. And I got choked up writing some of the letters. You know, sometimes you don't tell the people closest to you how you really feel. And imagine one day just going to the mailbox and having this letter from someone that you have a close relationship with tell you the things that they appreciate about you, how wonderful that would be. So like, you know, it feels so good to send that out in the world and you got to put a stamp on it and like physically put it in a mailbox. So uh, yeah, you know, if we're going, we're talking about making those deeper connections. This is a way to really connect with someone and give some value. So uh, Johnny and my letter got caught up in the mail. <laughs> it so, must have gotten. Yeah, <laughs> I have to check the mailbox when I get home. Let us know. We're always excited to hear from you. As always, you could send your questions for us to answer at the end of next month by heading on over to theartofcharm.com slash questions. You can also email us at questions at theartofcharm.com or find us on social media at The Art of Charm, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Aaron, I know you recently launched a podcast. <laughs> yes. Wildly successful podcast about The Bachelor, it is called Final Rose Material. So if you like watching The Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise is next. Um, Or you just like Aaron. Or you just like me. Yeah, it's funny. I always have a funny guest on. So it's me and someone else. So it's even if you just like to laugh. So check out Aaron's show. As always, could you do us a huge favor and give us a review on our show here on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd really appreciate that rating. The Art of Charm podcast is produced by Chris Olin and Michael Harold, and engineered by Danny Luver and Bradley Denham at Cast Media Studios in sunny downtown Hollywood. I'm AJ. And I'm Johnny. See you next week.